Hello, hello, and welcome to Hospitality in the Infinite Game, a podcast series focused on answering one simple question. What type of hospitality industry do we actually want to create? In these episodes, Michael and David discuss big ideas that might set the foundation for a different model of success. A model which would allow us to piece together a bold new way forward, where our businesses can thrive whilst making a positive impact on people, communities and the planet. We make no claims to have all the answers, far from it in fact, but we hope these conversations might just get you thinking. We are learning and hopefully you'll learn with us. So join us. The game is afoot and it's an infinite one. So, David, we're back again. We are. It's taken us a while. We have been pretty rubbish at sorting this out for the last few months, haven't we? But we have made it back eventually to to talk about something very important. Yeah, we, we will continue the journey as we promised, but it's taking a bit longer because, um, you know, getting organized sometimes takes time. But also we wanted to find the right thing to talk about. Yeah, we, I think that the world is full of podcasts not really saying very much. So I'd like to think that if anyone's going to tune in to us talking about this, then uh, we have enough value to add to make it worth half an hour of their time, don't you think? Like the world doesn't need us talking half an hour for every two weeks, <laughs> just just talking about our lives or a few anecdotes that we've come up with. So hopefully this will be, uh, this is worth us coming yeah. out of hibernation. Yeah, it is. And we, we've been studying a bit because um, we, we asked, you know, some very big questions, you know, how can we, you know, make a better hospitality industry long term? How can we actually build better companies that does more than just make profits? They make a world better place. They give more to people, community and, and the planet. And on that journey, we found a, a book uh, it's called Net Positive by the former CEO of Unilever. Paul Pullman and, uh, and a consultant he worked with there on sustainability uh, called Andrew Winston. And it's a great book. Uh, it was David that found it and gave it over to me. So uh, David has been the engineer for this conversation. And uh, it, it's a book that really make you think because of course it's about big business. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I think it is. It was actually the, it was the, the line, it was the, the, the kind of tagline on the book that drew me in the first time when I saw the kind of promotion for it and the, the, sub, the subtitle is How Courageous Companies Thrive by Giving More Than They Take Yeah, and I had an initial reaction of oi you stole my line like I, I use that uh, to kind of as a goal for what we're trying to do or whether we can get you know restaurants to a point where they can do that and I was like okay maybe there's some values aligned here and, um, and as soon as I dug in to start reading this I knew I had to share it with you because whilst it's impossible to say it is the answer our whole search why we started this hospitality in the infinite game series of conversations to try and build a model for the hospitality we build a model to discover the fragments of a model that we can share with people for a better industry it feels like this offers a decent a decent solution from people that probably know a lot more than us um, about the big scary world of, uh, of business across different scales so I thought it was really exciting for for what it started to show was possible at a level where the scale is such that if they can do it and make a difference at this level then surely we can apply these lessons or reflect on them for smaller businesses, whether it's a design agency like mine or whether it's actually a, a restaurant or hospitality group itself. But how did how did you 
how did you feel having picked it up and flicked through I, it? I totally agree with you. It's really for big business and, um, you know, big business really need to transform is we're going to save our planet, brutally says, without being too much activist about it. Um, and I think he, he, he paints a very good picture about his journey in Unilever, which was actually... 10 years yeah. it took him 10 years to fulfill this project and give it get it to a level at that point i don't think even the business community really understood what he's done and i think now he's on that journey trying to share that through the book through workshop through the organization he started where he actually trying to get engaged global ceos in solving this but i think there's a lot of learning small businesses and especially hospitality can learn about the comp complexity that this is actually hard but yeah. when you get it right the rewards are huge and i think that's where it ties anecdotally into sort of what we're seeing of the most successful companies and groups within the hospitality industry which is where it's really interesting i think it's probably also worth maybe just stepping back a little to to define what they describe as a net positive company what they mean obviously there's the tagline about giving more than you take but what what is that um and there, there's a couple of lines in there that show how holistic the thinking is in here. Um, it's probably worth also reiterating that Paul Pullman, as I understand it, kind of developed this idea of the triple bottom line, the original idea of people, planet and profit. And yeah. the, the three-legged stool of that is something that comes up again and again in here. Um, but this book is not just about sustainability. It's about everything. Uh, there's a line in here that's like, you know, climate change is the greatest market failure in history. Inequality is a close second, and the market for wages does not reflect real value. And I think that what's interesting is the way that the social and the economic side are coming together under that um, umbrella of economics, which obviously relates back to the donor economics book that we were talking about before. And, and Kate Rayworth's you know, got a different way of looking at the same the same idea. But I think that's a really strong big picture that they, that you pull out because I think there are people you know people want to do good stuff people want their companies to be good and be a good force in the world but that can feel so unknowable or so complex that I think often we don't quite know where to start or even what what direction to point in and I think this book is really helpful in as a manifesto giving people the confidence to to just start and and start asking questions and you know, you stick your hand up and you say, yeah, I do care. And I want everyone in our company to care. So what does that mean? And how do we make those decisions? Um, and, and kind of what might the pitfalls and, and difficulties be as we go through? So that's what that's what I took from this as well. And I think I think you got the same um, the kind of same initial direction, right? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because I think also he tried to take responsibility for principle what he says my generation has done to the world after the second world war you know how we if you break it you own it yeah. he says and he talks about that you know if we don't have a society that thrives on all levels like when you talk donut economics then uh, business will not thrive essentially there will be a finish line then and it will really impact business so business need, really need to be part of reinventing you know models systemically so business can drive and society can drive so that's, everybody yeah, wins that's exactly it it's almost the the models we've had for you know a shareholder primacy and that kind of capitalism that has been going on for you know 50 100 200 years 
kind of worked okay when there are only a couple of billion people on the planet, but it, it's shown <laughs> how it doesn't actually stack up as we've got bigger and bigger and we're pushing against the limits of um, of what the planet can can support um, and whilst also you know dragging along a lot of people below the poverty line. So that the urgency for that I think is what this book is addressing and I really do think that it isn't just a sort of soft touchy-feely kind of naive understanding of the world it's actually the way that if you want to build a resilient business that's still going to be here and and being profitable and and scaling and getting all the good stuff that we want to do if you want that to be here in five ten years time you need to be thinking in these terms because i just think you're going to build something that's got such a high high risk of collapse otherwise don't, don't you i mean i think there's no there's no coincidence in the fact that the companies that care right now that we see and we hold up in the hospitality industry as examples like uh, Gales or Honest Burgers or Hawksmoor or Mowgli or Pizza Pilgrim, any of those people, they care about what they do. And you see it in the culture that they have internally and how they treat their customers. And you also see it in how they perform, the resilience of those businesses as they've gone through COVID and, and come out the other side. And I think for me, this is, even if you are being really cynical about it, this is just how to build a resilient long-term business. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting here is actually the, it's it's not like a project. He talks a lot about this is not a project that happens next to the organization. It's not a sustainability project. It's not a greenwashing thing. It's how you think operation is integrated internally in everything you do, a bit like cash flow. Yeah. It's, the, it's, the, it's part of the three bottom lines. It's not just something you do as a project because now it's, it's a nice thing to do or I want to do the right thing. You actually integrate in all layers. It's the internal bit. And then he talks about the supply chain where you rigorous actually go out and that's the next layer where you make sure that everyone you work with in your supply chain are living up to make the world a better place on all areas, not just climate change, workers' conditions education so on and so on if you take resources from a community you bring something back to the community yeah and then there's the systemic change where you work with where that's where it becomes really complex in my view and where you probably have a bigger chance as a unilever but it took them a long time to get that point talking with ngos governments about systemic change because in principle that's what needed you know take you know electricity or farming you really need to change the whole farming model. That means political input and NGOs input, as well as the farmer and the supermarkets and so on. It suddenly becomes very, very complex and a lot of people involved. But it is possible if you start building from the inside out. Mm. And I think that's interesting because great companies, there's nothing new here. If you think about what we had talked about before, um, small giants, good to great, we talked about culture and so on. Exactly the right way to do things. But it takes longer time. Exactly. And I think that's why maybe people get put off by some of this stuff in the past or actually what we you know, what we see valorized on social media or in the, the, the kind of industry press, uh, you know, the, the press releases of, oh, we're going to open 50 sites this year and we just made, you know, 600 million pounds profit. And you know, that, that's, those are the figures that get out, <laughs> less, less than the impact that people are having. So there's a kind of skewed aspect there. But I do think... When you were talking about that, I just kept thinking about this idea of ecosystems that I keep coming back to all the time now. And I do think part of the realization of this way of thinking is that your business, whatever it is, is an ecosystem in itself. 
and it is also part of a bigger ecosystem. And I think, as I reflect a lot, obviously most of my time is spent thinking about sustainability and embodied carbon and fit out and all that sort of side of things. I think it's understanding that any system doesn't have a beginning and an end. Things just flow around that system. So from our side, pure sustainability, I'm talking to people about carbon and there's this whole thing about net zero carbon and people trying to get to that. And I know that that's really important. I know that's what we're doing, but it's also a bit of a myth in that you can't hit zero. You know, you need to think about your business as like a tree in a forest, like a tree sucks up nutrients and water from the soil and takes sun and energy from the sun through its leaves, which maybe blocks out other kind of organisms around it because it's taking that energy. But then the byproducts of that tree as a system is to give out oxygen in the evening, hopefully, and to provide shade perhaps for other organisms that want that. So the tree is a system that is using resources. You can't have net zero resource intake for a tree because it will die. Same as a business, you're going to consume natural resources. So what are the positive byproducts that you're going to give off, which could be social, <laughs> there should be social, social benefits for everyone. And I guess the challenge is that very often over the last 150 odd years, money and the generation of profit has been seen as a proxy for social good. And actually it, it's a bit of a, um, a bit of a lie as to whether that actually happens or not. And we kind of, people kid ourselves that that's okay. Um, and I think what I liked about this book is that the way that it really emphasizes all three of those legs of that stool, the sustainability, the social, and the, and the economic. And I think that, yeah, that ecosystem point is something that I find is, I keep coming back to. Yeah, and I think, I think what's really interesting also is that he really believes that most CEOs cares, but they don't know where to start because they've been trained in an old system, an old thinking way of creating results. And he talks about his first time, or his first period in the first phase of being in Unilever, where he very quickly removed three quarterly reporting yeah. out of the organization, because if they were focusing on that, they couldn't really engage in the long-term journey, the 10-year plan, which he was trying to launch, because they will be focusing on the next earning. Uh, yeah, that's a good. I, I forgot, but that's a really good point because yeah, the whole point of that was, you know, the economic performance of business. You can't pretend that that isn't important. I mean, any, any of those companies that we mentioned as being good in hospitality run a tight ship. You yeah, know, they, they, this is not just hope. That's not a way yeah. you financially run a business. But you, you've got to be aware, and we want to be aware and careful that the KPIs and the targets don't stop the good growth and the long-term success of of that business right it's like I think in the very first episode we did about um, you know the infinite game and, and looking at Simon Sinek's book like if you draw the you, someone's eyes down from the horizon and you're looking at the three months rather than the, the one year or the three years mm. you make different decisions don't you and I think maybe that's one of the do you think that's one of the core things to take out of the, the book is to to have to re, kind of re-look at what you target and measure and the timeframes of that to enable you to, to, to build a long-term plan? I think there's definitely some some learnings. One of the things I could see there was a similarity with, I was very lucky to interview Ari from Singerman, so I keep on going on about this, is that he also talks about a 10-year vision mm. for your business. And they he spelled out that vision very early on with the leadership team. And then somehow he got the board convinced of reporting has to go away for us or he bought himself some time. He's probably been hanging his, 
you know, name on that we will deliver this and this result because in the end of the day, that's what the shareholder wanted. But he delivered a much better result because he was able to launch this off. And I think it's very interesting how he got that launched was that he actually started working with the the inner soul of the business. That's where he started. He didn't start looking at projects or where I can make impact. He knew he had to connect people's individual purpose to the organization purpose. And, and when they defined that, you know, we need to give more than we take, he got everybody involved through programs. It was a long journey, actually, finding their own purpose so they could find out what is that we're going to do in all the parts of Unilever. This is a massive global organization. And what he gave them was actually autonomy by doing that to go out and do their own projects locally. And they came up with much better things mm. than the, the senior exec or special project management team could ever have done. Yeah, I guess it ties in quite well to a lot of what you talk about with culture and cultural transformation and avoiding um, that top-down management um, idea and actually trying to embed principles and ideas that can then come from the bottom up so people are able to just do this without you having to tell them or manage them or not, yeah. not manage them, obviously you need to manage people, but to, it's not a, it's not a controlling mechanism. It's an mm. empowering mechanism. That kind of servant leadership idea that you get people who can do things and, and want to, to do the right thing and, and make stuff happen. Do you think that's one of the, the biggest things that you saw in this then, like that cultural transformation piece, like a, a way of, or did that just reinforce what you already thought? I think it reinforced what you said. We already know the good companies that's doing good stuff in hospitality, and everybody, when they talk about them, they always mention their yeah. their culture, but they don't really understand mm. what the culture is because it's their unique source in a way, and everybody has to build that unique source. But what I think is really interesting, what we talked about before as well, is that it starts before culture. It actually starts with having clarity is power. So yes. with that journey of, from a leadership mindset, he got, you know, the, also he changed his senior team. There was quite a shift in the senior team because there was a lot of people that didn't believe, that's 10 years ago, that didn't believe in this agenda because it sounded like, you know, voodoo at that point, yeah. what we sit and talk about here. Right now, I think it's much more, it's on the board level now. Mm -hmm. It's something we talk about. We don't maybe don't know how to do it, but we definitely have the knowledge and the insights that we have challenges and so on. So he was bringing on some very early. So he had to change some things within his team and probably let go of people. That's, he says that directly in the book. But then he talks a lot about that thing. How do we actually get leaders that has been rewarded for thinking short term to long term? Yeah. Because they want to leave a better place, a better planet for their kids as well. And that's where he had it. And I think that's where it starts. And then when you start to unlock into every individual purpose, you, as you say, you release autonomy to them. You give them, you know, freedom to operate, as I call it. And then you can start actually bringing that vision to life, bringing the soul back. Because in a way, he also talks about it was a company that has lost its way, direction and soul. So that process helped the first couple of years out with getting extreme clarity. And normally I say in, in leadership, your job is to create clarity. Mm -hmm. It's not clarity, your job is to create clarity and purpose and meaning for this organization. Then the culture is gonna deliver that clarity, purpose, in a way through its values. Yeah, that makes sense. So again, it comes down to leadership and that first step of making sure that you are determined to show that you care. You know, this is about trying yeah. to create businesses 
that, that care um, and um, then as a leader you know doing the hard work right because that's the first part is somebody um, someone some people need to decide to either start something in this manner or change something that exists to be more this way and that is going to at sometimes be a hard struggle that's going to you have to sell that to, to certain people or people aren't going to be on board um, and I guess uh, the, the point is that that change like any transformation in any company is going to be potentially difficult but someone need, you know needs to, to stick their hand up and, and say I'm going to do that yeah and I think it's that thing you know you just talked about do you really care and if you care then you have the key to unlock what I call the company soul and then I think we've already been talking about like he had really big visions for where Unilever had to go. So it's not like he didn't came with some, some crazy ideas, yeah. but what he needed is to get help distilling those ideas, make them implementable. Because um, in a way, I mean, though the, the scale issues that they're coming up with with something like Unilever, it should be alien to almost everyone listening to this, this podcast. It should be easier if you have one restaurant or 10 or 20 or even 50, mm. 50 <laughs> restaurants, the problems should still be simpler uh, or more singular and clearer um, than, than having to do it across you know, the entire world, across however many tens of thousand people that they, that they employ. So you shouldn't be having to turn quite so big a boat, right? So hopefully, I mean, maybe that clarity is still difficult at that level. I don't know. Maybe clarity and... It doesn't come as easily, you know, when we're trying to work everything else out and we've got the day-to-day problems going yeah. on. And I think that's why it's important to build that 10-year vision because that's part of the hard work of getting clarity and get your people involved as you talk about permission to operate. Because if you read this book, there's so many case studies of how they in Unilever did it in very different ways mm. in different parts of the world or different brands. So Ben and Jerry did one way, Dove did another way. So they actually found where there was relevance to that brand they operate as well. Like, and it could also be in a restaurant group in the city. It gives more sense to be involved in that local thing. You know, Honest Burger has that thing with local involvement where they have local suppliers mm-hmm. in the supply chains. That's hard. That's very difficult from a supply chain management point of view, but also from a marketing point of view. But they do it. And that's the difference, I think, where you actually start to give that permission out to people to find the thing. And you, but you have to set the vision. You have to be part of setting that purpose. And then they interpret that purpose, which I think is very interesting. It's such a big top-down, you would say, in a top-down industry as fast-moving consumer goods are. He's really changing that. And then they also acquired purpose-driven brands to yeah. put more energy into the company and come up with crazy ideas getting founders in it was really interesting it starts to become a virtuous cycle at that point after you've like um, I know in Good to Great they talk about the flywheel it takes you feel like you're putting all this effort in to get nowhere to begin with but then eventually it will generate a momentum of itself that keeps going and I guess that's that's kind of where he's trying to get to which is you know really interesting for the size of that company but yeah it I thought it was a manifest as a way of looking at things. I, I was you know, very much kind of convinced that it was very interesting and, and applicable to, as a way of thinking for the hospitality industry, I think. Uh, and I think, you know, that stuff you mentioned there about working with local suppliers. A question just came to my mind is that, and I think you touched on it a little bit there, is there will be a different flavour of this 
for different companies. As you say, yeah. like different the people, will, some people are more analytical and they probably want to measure something, um, which just reminded me of, um, there's a, a company called um, the East Timor, I think Food Lab, it's in East Timor, which is the tiny little country over towards Asia, and I can't even remember exactly where it is. And they've got this food lab and they have an impact dashboard on their website mm. where they measure against the SD, S, UN SDGs um, how many liters of water they've saved or how many um, people they've trained in certain skills and stuff. And that, if anyone hasn't seen that, I'd, I'd Google it and look it up because it is really interesting. The way of trying to create numbers and something quantifiable to track against this slightly nebulous qualitative being good and being better but then there are other companies where it is more of about a human social connection and it is just i want to work with great suppliers that i know and i know they do good and i know their kids and they know it's it's much more small scale humanity um and i don't think either one is is um is necessarily right or wrong. I just think there it's almost about scale, isn't it? And I think within the hospitality industry of, of people that might be listening to this, there's probably going to be more of that mix of people who are coming at it who want to quantify something, and others who just want to know that this is a is a way that will get us to, to business being a force for good. Yeah, and I think you know if you believe enough and you're moving that one percent of doing that. Thing you have decided that impact thing you have decided, then you are doing the right thing, and it's you know, I think you of course bigger the company are, the more transparent they have to be as well because there's a trust thing. Yes, because you can tell the story as a small business very easily to your local community. So I'm the local operator, I can tell what we do with suppliers. As you get bigger, you need to tell that story to your website. You're just getting yes. simple. I think it's really interesting, um, you know, you, you have to measure things, yes. as he says in the book. But also if you think about, um, we talked about diversity inclusion, mm-hmm. and I can't remember, I think we talked about Danny Myers, but what they do now as a, as a hospitality group, they put all their diversity inclusion figures on the website. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, there was a positive outcome. He mentioned in an article in a round table the other day, Danny, he said, that, is that actually our company had become more diverse mm-hmm because of you know we only got 30 percent of the people that was employed with us back and the rest left and did other things so thereby now we have had an opportunity to build a more diverse workforce Mm. and that's really interesting and they are now really focusing on that and being very open and transparent about that part and yeah transparency is massive i i completely i think it's a really good point because i think when we look at the way that you know, the pandemic has influenced a lot of sort of the zeitgeist and overall psychology and sustainability is, you know, growing and growing and growing and, and discussions around diversity and inclusion and, and social impact are growing and growing and growing. But obviously what that means is people want to talk about it more and therefore you're getting some green washing or you're getting purpose washing. It's the other one I heard the other day where people, are, you know, it's this kind of maybe even you know genuine desire to be showing these things that they're doing but they're really not doing enough to justify showing off those little bits that they're doing and transparency is the only weapon against greenwashing or any of that stuff like if you are just completely open about what it is that you're doing and all the good bits and the bad bits then that as a tool is going to help you be better genuinely isn't it i I think 
it's just essential because you can't we can't have trust without transparency either. And I think there's we are as a society, and this is maybe taking it up a bit bigger than the book. Um, uh, it's like we are on this discourse in society about what's you know I'm right, you're wrong, kind of thing. And what he's also saying is that the transparency should actually help us get back to an even keel and actually starting trusting each other more. Mm. And that goes on all levels. It's with internal, external, with your suppliers, with your lots of people. When they do impact, they work with some kind of organization. It could be an NGO or an uh, organization that has set out to focusing on doing that thing, if it's bringing clean water to the third world or whatever it is. And I think the, the lack of transparency is actually one of our challenges in the industry because there was this debate in April around the new obesity, uh, tackle obesity, mm-hmm. and the, the government put new calories in and rules for that for menus. And, you know, in principle, there's only operators more than 250 people yes. has to do that. And I would say the progressive operator have already said, okay, well, this is going to happen. And it's part of me being transparent to society, but also showing my people, we can talk honest about it. We know when we eat a burger or a pizza, that's a treat. You shouldn't eat that three times a day or seven times a week. Um, But then let's also talk about, when we talk about transparency, where does our produce come from and so on. So transparency is a complex thing, but it starts somewhere and you start to share that information before it becomes law. Because then in principle, in my view, you're not building trust, you're just reacting to what's normal and I think trust is about again opening up because I think we're all a bit now in the aftermath of the pandemic I think we would like to think we cooperate but I think actually it may be closed mm-hmm. communities and down and it's harder to get back to that but that's just a that's my 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 view but I can definitely see the biggest part of you know get it right internally you can get it right in your supply chain, but then the big thing comes again. How do we actually start to engage with the world? And if you don't tell these stories, and I also think there's a lot of companies that do a lot of good that forgets to tell it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I mean, I'd rather have it that way round than the people who are keen to share yeah. when they've moved the needle, you know, half a percent to the left and yeah. then want to just talk about all their sustainability initiatives yeah. or all their social purpose that they've, they've added on now. Um, and I do think that that becomes a challenge. But yeah, transparency, I think that's a really interesting because I was just thinking about the nature of transparency as actually a disruptor in the industry because obviously the, the, most industries don't get disrupted by the incumbents and the big forces within it. It's normally new people coming in mm. who go, hang on a second, I don't believe what you're doing here or this isn't right or this isn't healthy or this isn't sustainable or um, this isn't kind or um, you know this isn't unique enough. And... I think like the calorie thing is is an interesting point because I know there is pushback within the industry about the cost and the time and the effort of doing it. But I don't know, you do have to step back and go, surely this is just being transparent, isn't it? I mean, it is. I sat in a restaurant the other day with my partner who eats quite healthily and it was the first time we sat down with a, with a menu with the calories on and she was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Um, right, you know, she probably wasn't going to order some of the stuff that is 1,200 calories for a dish anyway, but she definitely wasn't going to order it having seen that. And so she, I was a bit um, not cynical. I just wasn't sure if it was going to do anything. Like we've had calories on the back of 
packs of food in the supermarket for years and, and the obesity crisis hasn't got any better. So, But in that environment, when it was right in front of you with food in a restaurant, it, it, it was the first time I sort of thought, actually, I could see that this will impact a number of people. So therefore, surely that has to be positive transparency, doesn't it? And then, you know, as an operator... You've, you've seen a thing on a dish on your menu and you go, oh God, that's actually 2,000 calories. No, we can't have that. Let's change it and make it a bit healthier because <laughs> we can't, you know, we can't face putting that on the menu. So surely that that is an example of transparency should be a force for making a better hospitality business that is making a better contribution to society because actually obesity is one of the negative effects that comes out of, you know, not, it's not the hospitality industry's fault but you can't deny that when many meals are being eaten out, that that will have a contribution to people's um, people's health levels, right? I think also it's just a starting point when you just take from a food point of view, then you will have provenance, you will have environmental impact, you will it will just come one after the other, but it will be with delay from from the politician. And I think this is a great opportunity because that's actually, you're thinking about the internal bit, what you're in control of. That's where maybe take some effort and some time and money. I will appreciate it all. We are on the back of a pandemic. But I think actually that's where you can have some easy wins becoming a, stay in the term, net positive company. Yeah. Because also your employees will actually, you know, appreciate it and actually slowly, slowly, slowly you will get the swing wheel effect you talk about. But again, you have to start somewhere. And actually, you always have to be before legislation or law because then it just looks like you're doing what you need to do because now you're told to. Yeah. The, the law, I think, is, is not a high enough standard of no. ethics for any of us. Or, you know, we should, the defense of, oh, you know, you know the, the whole tax thing, tax, of, tax avoidance thing, yeah, but it's legal. Yeah, but is it is it ethical? <laughs> like, I think we need to be, we need to be leading better than that. And I think... I guess just I guess we probably want to be wrapping up soon on, on on this episode, but I just think they talk about the fact that we're facing existential issues. You know, mm. as a, as a collective, you know, species, humanity is dealing with all kinds of things about you know inequality and climate change, and we aren't going to be able to solve those on our own. We need to be able to collaborate better and understand how we fit within the ecosystem. I really think that you know, will things get better or will they get worse? Well, actually, do you know what? It's in our hands. You know, the, the, the solutions are really there. The ways of working and thinking are there. We just need to put the effort in if we're going to try and create businesses as a force for good that can deal with climate change, biodiversity, loss, inequality, you know, the racial divide, poverty and everything else. You know, we need to create businesses that have the empathy and compassion to to actually contribute towards those problems. And I think that, yeah, this book is, a, is definitely a great read for anyone that wants to pick up on those. Yeah, I think I think what really you know you come to the we, we talked a bit on the implementation, and I think what's really interesting he talks about as in good to great they call it face the brutal facts, he says face the elephants, um, and really you know if you don't know something in your supply chain go and find out and face it even if you don't like the result yeah deal with it and that's like the first step of implementation really understand where the issue and actually spending the time where that you know if we say anything people could do, do very quickly they can actually start just asking simple questions through the supply chain or internally definitely how we do things and i think then it comes back to the culture piece we already talked about that you know building that culture and be consistent on building and involving that 
all the time every day and he says something in the book um which i marked and i've gone back to a couple of times because i'm i'm, I'm very as people know believe that culture are the, the bedrock of creating good companies said the best legacy a ceos can leave an organization is embedded values which result in a stronger culture and better people than when they arrived mm. so it's about actually building a culture so when you put people or hire people when they leave they're better off they have better transferable skills they can pay a better living and thereby it means they can actually have a better impact on the world and i think many ceos maybe should start asking that question as well are we i'm actually building an organization where when i put people in it they come out better when they leave me because then that will transform outside because he also talk about the culture's job is to build people that are so good at what they're doing they go on to do the next thing that's good for the world definitely um so yeah i think that that's that's an interesting thought to to leave leaders in the industry with because we all know that people is a challenge right now but actually if you start there with that thinking and build an organization actually start solving you know yeah, properly that's a really good point because again the whole you know the recruitment crisis which you know also by the way you know we're in a hospitality bubble so we we just see all the vacancies and the issues in hospitality mm. but you know look at the news look at other industries and everyone every, almost everyone has a recruitment crisis of some kind yeah um but you don't solve that with a with a kind of sticking plaster solution of of paying a bit more money or uh, or any of that sort of stuff you you solve it long term by creating a company that's worth joining within an industry that's worth being in yeah uh, and those are tough hard bigger questions but you need to solve those and i don't profess to have the answer to those at all you know i'm just the design guy um, but uh, you know i think you need to be able to ask those honestly and see you know with that question is are we a company worth joining yeah and i think again is that agenda should be on the forefront the desk of the ceo and not just yeah left to to hr hr should help or people should help making that happen and i think that's like the bedrock for getting all the other things to do because if your people or your culture collapses or gives you setback all the time you can have the greatest ambition on a zero net zero impact kind of project or a social project but it can't be done because you're dying in operational challenges because you don't have the capabilities or the the energy inside the organization do that and i think he, he he finished off the book actually that's the last chapter he talks about culture is the glue um mm. and then he leaves us on a you know we need to take action now as, yeah as i quite like there was a, a line here that i was i was looking at which is again one of the like the absolute conclusions of it which is quite a nice way to think to end the the podcast is uh, this little paragraph here um we will choose our destiny together we're asking for more trust, more courage and more humanity. Do you care? Do you have the willpower? Can you find the moral leadership to do what we must? If you join us in the most critical journey to net positive, you may open yourself up to criticism. You'll make mistakes, but the rewards are enormous for you, for your business, which will thrive in a whole new way, and for all of us living together on this spinning imperfect ball. I thought that was a, was a kind of lovely kind of rallying cry of, of this, what we're asking for people, is people to, to just care and, and put that in everything they do. Let's come back to what we need more than ever, compassion in this world. 
Definitely. Okay, I've really enjoyed that chat. Hopefully that was useful for everyone. Yeah, we hope that. And we will be, uh, we will not give a date, but we will be back with more. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> So that's the end for today. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that it sparked off an idea or two for you. We'll make sure to include any links and references in the show notes. But if you'd like to start a conversation, you can email michael at hospitalitymavericks.com or david at objectspaceplace.com. You can also find them roaming around on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect. Finally, if you're enjoying this series, please consider letting the world know by honouring us with a five-star rating or even giving us a review. Okay, goodbye for now. Catch you next time for more discussions on hospitality and the infinite game.